Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Well, this week in the provincial budget, we heard that there is more money coming. Now, more money for quite a few things, but in particular, about a billion dollars towards mental health and addictions. And overall, you'd go, okay, that's great. But there's been some discussion about, well, is this the best way to approach this? We know what the politicians say. Let's find out, though, what the experts have to say about this. So joining us now is Dr. Mark Hayden, who's an adjunct professor at UBC's Faculty of Medicine and the UBC School of Population and Public Health. Dr. Hayden, thank you for joining us. Hello, Cindy. It's a pleasure to be back on the show. Well, okay. Let's talk about what we heard in the budget this week. Like, What did you think about what they're saying about this money for treatment? Well, it's interesting because I think the process of the provincial government waving flags as to what they believe started in January 30th when they decriminalized many drugs in small quantities. So really what they were saying to the public is we believe that drugs are actually a health problem, not a criminal justice problem, and they started to withdraw the law. And the next completely logical step was what they needed to do was implement a health response. And that's exactly what I see that this budget is doing. Now, if you think about all of the discussions that you and I and the public have had around an appropriate response to drugs in our society, often the debate is harm reduction versus treatment. And they're kind of seen as being this um, false dichotomy, somehow against each other. This budget offers both. And they both offer both in some sense of balance. So let me give you two examples. So the Redfish Treatment Center um, is specifically set up to treat concurrent disorders or dual diagnoses. So one of the most difficult populations to treat is people that have both mental health problems and addiction problems. What happens now is they go to an addictions program and say, I'm sorry, I can't help you. You have a mental health problem. They go to a mental health service and they say, I can't help you. You have an addiction problem. So we need services that are specifically set up to deal with both of those problems. And they've done that, which is, which is quite frankly fabulous. And while they are providing treatment, they're also providing harm reduction services. So one of the, one of the quotes that I often have said in interviews is we don't have a drug problem, we have a drug prohibition problem. Because right now, we have drugs widely available through a process called organized crime. The first drug law in Canada was 1908, so we've had 115 years to reflect on the fact that drug prohibition doesn't work. We, quite frankly, need to give people the drugs. And the model that's used to describe that these days is called safe supply. And one of the challenging truths is if you give somebody who's addicted to heroin, heroin, they can get on with their lives. The problems that often these folks face is that they're stigmatized, they're criminalized, and they're engaged in this criminal lifestyle. If you give heroin addicts heroin, they can, get, they can take care of their children, and quite frankly, they can be high school teachers. They can, they can get jobs, they can be completely normalized members of our society. But Dr. So, Hayden, what if we don't want that though? What if we want people to be able to have the ability to say, I want treatment and I want to stop this today, and then they get that treatment? What about that part of it? 
Well, we need both. That's exactly what this budget is doing. It offers treatment services, absolutely, yes, but we have to engage people first. Some people are not ready for treatment. What we need to do is provide compassionate, caring physicians, nurses, social workers, counselors who engage people around a health process as they are providing them the drugs because the drugs are not the problem. Right, but haven't we been doing that? Haven't we been doing that? Like, isn't that the whole basis of harm reduction that we've been doing for 10 years? Well, no, we, we've done it in a very, very minimalistic way. I mean, we started with supervised injection sites. Yes, that was a huge sort of significant step forward, but it was insufficient. We actually need to people engage these folks in a structured health service where we provide them the drugs in a very, very um, progressive and inclusive way. And we need to provide it to lots of people. They need to be significant size services. I mean, right now, if I look at inside the supervised injection site, it has lineups outside of it. It's a, it's a tokenistic kind of treatment. We need to actually provide the type of services that are big enough to serve the population that is needy. Okay, so then do you feel this moves us towards actually making a dent in, you know, our problems that we have with overdoses and and mental health and people who are unhoused? Um, Absolutely, yes. Now, admittedly, we have an implementation challenge. Just throwing money at it is, is not enough because what we will experience, I'm willing to gaze into my crystal ball and predict that the moment they start to try and structure these services, we're gonna, they're going to have a problem. And the problem is the stigma that is everywhere is, also exists within the medical profession, it exists within the counseling profession, the nursing profession. All the people that need to be providing this service are also people that experience stigma. So what we need to do is find ways of engaging people around um, providing a compassionate, inclusive, appropriate service um, as this is happening. And that's going to be quite difficult for people who are setting up these services. Do you, do you see this happening soon, though? Does the budget provide, in your opinion, a way for us to start making some progress? Yes, absolutely, yes. Now, now it's interesting. As I was looking at the budget, the first question that I had is, is what's missing? And one of the observations that I strongly believe is that um, empowerment is healing. And so there's an organization in the downtown east side of Vancouver um, that is a peer network. It's called Van2, the Vancouver Area Network of Drug Users. And it's a politically active group that is funded municipally. And it's really, really important. When you empower drug users, they actually get healthier. And so what I didn't see in the budget in my first scan was support for peer networks. And I asked a friend of mine who's kind of on the inner circle of this process um, whether this was something that he considered. And he said it actually is in the budget. It's called the Community Action Initiative, where peer networks will be supported throughout the process, throughout the province. The way I think about it is if you had a group of men sitting around a room structuring services for women, that wouldn't fly. If you had a group of white women sitting down and structuring services for indigenous people, that wouldn't fly. And it would be obviously wrong. And so why would we structure health services without including the voice of people who will be receiving those services? And the only way to do that is to empower and to fund peer networks and organizations that are peer run and then invite them to the table and really listen to them, engage them in the process. And even that process will be healing for them. Now, I know you've also said that we need to start thinking of this like as the health problem, right? Not a 
criminology problem. Uh, it, but that's a mindset that, that average British Columbians have to get to, don't we? Yes, there, there, is, there is an attitude in the public that needs to shift. We need to fundamentally start seeing this as a health problem. And, you know, as we do that, you know, as these services get set up and evidence is generated, they need to have research um, as part of the process. Um, when evidence is generated, that needs to be shared widely with people that these services are actually working in this way. Interesting. Well, thank you so much for your time on that this morning. You're welcome very much, Cindy. Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance <laughs> recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone. Like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.